Two places this morning, Psalm 51, if you'll go there, Psalm 51. Title of the message is Preparing the Heart for Revival. Psalm 51. Hopefully you have gone over Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 several times this month so that it's familiar with you, but the two of these scriptures can go hand in hand. Lots of scriptures can go together, but I saw just a good connection here about revival. First place that we're going is uh, Psalm 51, verse one, verse 10, 11, and 12. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, this is not going to be the most popular message because it's about the heart. When you talk about issues of the heart, you're real close to home. We can talk about politics. We can talk about Leo Varadkar. We can talk about uh, issues. We can talk about the weather. But when we talk about the heart, we're getting too close for comfort um, for most of us. But you know, the Bible was written for the heart. It was written to cut it. Bible says uh, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, that's a scalpel. A two-edged sword is sharp, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner and of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word of God cuts down to the heart. So don't think you're going to be smiling a lot this morning. But I have a sense that our church me, us, need revival. We need something that restores joy, passion, energy in our lives like it was when we first got saved. I mean, if it didn't mean anything to you when you got saved, then I tell you, you need to get saved. I mean, you need to get converted. If you're just in church as a religious duty, I pity you because it's dead. You get born again, there's joy, there's something you just want to shout it from the top of the roof. You want to go and get everybody saved. You don't want to, you don't want to work, you don't want to eat, you don't want to sleep, you just want to see people saved, you just want to be in church, you just want to hear preaching, you just want to read your Bible. Do you remember that? Revival is where we say, I want to get that back. That doesn't mean that it's all happy times, I mean, Revival overwhelms all the the sorrow, all the disasters, disappointments of life. Revival doesn't need circumstances. Matter of fact, when everything's going good, that's probably when you need revival real quick because that's when you are not interested in God. It's when everything's going fine, you don't need God. We need something that encourages us when we get discouraged. Psalm 51 is one of the most incredible responses to spiritual apathy, and I like this word, sluggishness. That's just a good word. Psalm 51 cuts down to the heart and declogs the problems that are, that are causing us to just slow down and become sluggish in our Christianity. Listen again to Paul's, sorry, to David's request in Psalm 51 verse 12. David 
is praying and he says, restore unto me, restore it. Don't, don't give it to me first time. He's already had the joy. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He wants to get his joy back. And he wants to be encouraged. He's pretty discouraged at this point and we'll probably understand why in just a moment. Folks, I'll say this. There's nothing wrong with God. Would you agree with that? He didn't sort of, uh, get too old and, um, sort of pass, uh, out of style. No, there's nothing wrong with God. The problem's with us. Our fellowship, our closeness to God. Now I'm speaking about myself, okay? I mean, the message is not all about me, but I can relate. Where our fellowship, our closeness to God is not working great. And what clogs our fellowship is twofold, all right? This is the serious part. It is our sin and it is our our apathy towards our sin. The fact that we get used to it and we think, hey, it's okay. Go to Isaiah 59. We'll come back to Psalm later, but Isaiah 59 to the right. Isaiah 59, it's our memory verse, verses. Psalm 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. Does it seem like God doesn't hear? It does to me. So is God's ear heavy? Is his hand shortened, shriveled up? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, of the two, sin in our lives, and our getting accustomed to sin in our lives, which one's more serious? Us getting accustomed to sin in our lives. That's the most fearful. If, if, if we are going to have any kind of revival, any kind of work of God in our midst, we're going to have to pay attention to David in Psalm 51 as he writes down the hardest, I think it was his, the hardest psalm for David to write and do as he did because a clean heart is the foundation. A clean heart is the foundation for a close and a powerful and an exciting relationship with God. Listen to these words that Paul, sorry, yeah, that Paul said. He said that I may know him. And I pondered this verse for weeks. I, Paul knew day, Jesus. I gotta get all these names. I have my mind racing, so forgive me. Paul knew Jesus. He knew about him. He knew all, all the things that happened to him. And he says, I still want to know him more. That I mean, know him in the power of the what? And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul wanted to know Jesus still more. And the thing that blocks us from really knowing, enjoying, and and being thrilled at this relationship we have with the God who made us is a clean heart. Now, what happened to David? What went wrong? And believe me, something did go wrong. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. Before Psalm 51 was written, Psalm 51 is the response to an event that happened in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I hope... You are familiar with it. It's probably one of the top ten portions of Scripture that most everybody knows about. 
2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year is expired, at the time, notice, when kings go forth to battle, that David didn't go. And David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and David stayed back. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Verse 3, 2 Samuel chapter 11, 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. One said, is this not, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Note the key words, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David went ahead and sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house and the woman conceived and sat and told David and said, guess what? I'm pregnant. Verse down to verse 14. What's David going to do? Verse 14, and it came to pass in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab who's out fighting that war And her husband, Uriah, is with him, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. Put on the most dangerous firefight going on, and retire ye from him. Pull back from him, that he may be smitten and die. Hate to have that kind of guy for your boss. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite also. Verse 26, Uriah dies. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Well, at least that's okay. Goodness, here's a woman who doesn't mind stepping out on her husband, who goes into the king's bedroom, doesn't mind committing adultery, and then goes home, finds out she's pregnant, well, at least she mourns the death of her husband. She's not all stony heart. Verse 27, by the way, it's not just David's sin, it is the sin of Bathsheba too, it takes two to tango. This was not rape. Verse 27, and when the morning was passed, David sent, and boy, look how fast it went, and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What would happen? What happened? This is how David got in trouble with God. Boredom. And every parent knows that with their kids. When a child is bored and doesn't have anything to do, trouble's coming. Boredom was where David got in trouble with God. Say, what is it? What is it that we need to do so that I don't get so wrapped up in, 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 in the sins and the, 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 the stuff going on today? Get a job. Get two jobs if you're 19 years old. Get, get busy. Learn, learn a, 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 a trade. Learn a language. Don't let yourself just sit on your tod and do nothing. Watch TV for eight hours a day. Boredom is where the devil steps in and you know it. And he takes you on a ride that ends in death. David was bored. He went looking for lust. Don't you get the idea that he just, he's just 
sipping a cup of hot milk, you know, how your mom used to give you hot milk when you didn't go to sleep at night, remember that? And uh, uh, he, he wasn't there struggling to go to sleep. No, he knew there was somebody who went out and bathed out in public. And he knew his flat was higher than everybody else's. So he went out there and he looked right in her direction so he could get a good look. He went looking for lust. And you know what internet, you know what television stations, you know where you can go to start to feed that lust. Amen. And he was looking for it. He and, and really, he knew where he was headed. He said, who is that woman? Is she married? Oh, she's married? It'll be okay. He didn't mind what he was about to do. This, this have you noticed, there's some steps downward. Are you with me? Your, your, your first step is not where you end. Adultery was his thrill. That wasn't the end. All of a sudden, things don't go right, and he has to cover it up. He has to start to lie and to to make make it look like nothing ever happened. Probably the most dangerous thing you and I will ever do is try to lie to cover up a sin. And end up with the murder of a good man. That whole mess was one good person, and that was Uriah. He wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a convert. He was a proselyte. He had come into Israel because he was one of David's mighty men. He said, I want to be like him. He was looking up to David. He so loved and honored David who turned around when David took his wife, had him murdered. Wow. You say, that's in the Bible? I'm glad the Bible tells it like it is. Murdered a good man. Nine months went by. No concern about the sin he had done. He'd become used to. So how do you know it was nine months? Because all the time that Bathsheba was pregnant with this baby, he never gets right. He never cares about what he's done. He just goes along and doesn't care. Wow. Then he's caught by Nathan. Nathan's a good name. Amen. Don't blow it. We're going to read here in a moment. Look at chapter 12. We'll go ahead and see it. The Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, and he tells a parable, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler. Put in your mind a traveling salesman. Somebody who's not even a relative. There came a traveler under the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock. Didn't want to bother getting his own sheep and make a, make lamb meat from it. And of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb. Dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth this man, the man that hath done this thing shall surely what? He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. How upset was David? Furious. And he says, That man ought to die. And what did Nathan say in verse 7? And Nathan said unto David, You're doomed. <laughs> You're the man. Thou art the man. What a situation. Now, you know, the Bible gives us extremes. Okay? 
This, this doesn't always happen every time you sin. It doesn't cascade and just fall down. But God gives us some of these extreme examples to put the fear of God in us. Are you with me? And let us see where our lust will go. And lust doesn't always have to be for, for uh, people or for sex. Lust can be for anything. Lust can be a desire to be rich. Lust can be a desire to be popular. Lust can be, and when you go looking for that buzz that you get from that lust, it leads to doom. Every time. By the way, this wasn't the only time David was in trouble with God. Some people think that David, really, he only had one sin. Are you kidding me? Go to Psalm 32. You can finish in 2 Samuel now. Psalm 32. Again, where am I going with this? What is the point of this thing? I can only tell you that as I'm reading my Bible and as I'm praying about what to preach, God struck hard at my heart and said, "Led better, if there's going to be revival, you're going to have to do some deep introspection in your own heart. and Look and see what's clogged the blessings of God. So I'll take an extreme situation to scare us all. Because we could just talk about sin, but we got to name it. We got to think about it and go, what about me? Psalm 32, verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, doesn't transfer iniquity to his account, in whose, in whose spirit there is no guile. He doesn't lie. When I kept silence, this is David talking, when I kept silence about my sin, my bones waxed old, waxed old through my roaring all the day long. So get the picture. He's silent on the outside, but on the inside he's screaming. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned unto me unto the, into the drought of summer. Selah. Think of that. So I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou, I love these words, forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. This was a different, whatever it was that David felt convicted about, he so desperately wanted to get right, and he did get right. Now, there's one thing that you've got to understand about David and about the people of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Every one of them were sinners. Every one of them did wrong. Every one of them broke God's Commandments, God's laws, there's none righteous, no, not one. There were men who became righteous, who were made righteous, but within days, weeks, months, they would fail again. That is human nature. But David, as, 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 as great a sinner as he was, the only difference between him and King Saul, are you with me? Remember, King Saul, he basically did just a few things wrong. If you look at his, his record, There's three or four things that he disobeyed God about. David, there's 30 or 40 things that he did wrong. What's the difference? Saul never repented. Saul never decided, I've got to get right. David, he's constantly getting right. (laughs) Amen. It ought to be something that says in your heart, I'm too stinking proud. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not quick to say I'm sorry. I'm not quick to get right. I bet you got a problem with it too. Don't get the idea that God's people don't fail in their battle with temptation. 
whether you admit it or not, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is still in your Bible and still true. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not tempt you above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So everybody's tempted, everybody's struggling. Don't you think it's only you? And don't you think, oh, Pastor Craig, he doesn't. Brother Dan, he never has a bad day. David battled with the sin of anger. He battled with the sin of bitterness. He battled with the sin of the desire to quit. He battled with the sin of striving to blame. Do I blame Saul or do I just take it? He battled with all those things. And just because you may not be battling with the same sins as David, and I hope you're not. (laughs) Maybe you're not battling like everybody else is at the moment. doesn't mean that your heart is not in need of some cleansing. At some point, folks, you're going to have to admit that you cannot make your heart clean. Because that's our problem. We go for a while and it's, it's my cup. I wish I had a cup. An empty one. I'm this cup. On the outside, how do I look? Nice. Clean. Handsome. Good looking. Come on, say amen. Somebody, amen. <laughs> There's that cup on the outside. A little spot there. We'll fix that. Get that out of there. A little cosmetic surgery. All right. So there I am. All right. But on the inside, what's that? Bit of dirt. A little grunge. Well, it's actually coffee, but we'll take it for what it is. All right. I'll set that cup down here. All right, Mr. Cup, get to cleaning. Simple illustration, stupid illustration. The cup cannot clean itself. It needs me to clean it. Take your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. You're in Psalms, go to the right, Proverbs chapter 20. Even Solomon figured this out. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Anybody in here say, I clean my heart. I've gotten myself right with God. You can't say it. You can want it, and you better want it. But just just as invalid as this cup, so are you. So am I. That inside's got to be cleaned if, 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 if somebody else is going to use it. And if God's going to use us, we got to want our hearts to be clean. You say, well, I haven't. I've got victory over such and such. Amen. you got a victory over a habit. you got a victory over a thought pattern. you got victory over, over constant dis- discouragement. Amen. But did you know there's still, there's still a, a scum, a layer. There's, there's still stuff that plagues us and brings us down that can be purged. So it doesn't constantly remind, you know, I, if I put this, what do you smell when you smell that? What do you smell? No, it's not dirt. It's coffee. All right. Every time that memory of that past sin comes up, all of a sudden, the interest in coffee comes back. Remember that? <laughs> you smell that? You, listen, that stuff in our lives, we let sit there and build up, build up, build up. Yes, we get forgiven. Yes, but we never get it purged. We never get it truly cleansed. And we carry not the, not just the scars, but we carry the aroma of our past, and we never get real victory over it. And so when we get ready to serve God, we get ready to do something for God, there's a, oh, I better not. 
and it stops us dead when we ought to be running the race. You can't clean it up yourself. got to want to clean it up. I'm calling us, I just want revival. And I can't pray for revival as much as I want it. I have to look in my life and say, Lord, where is there a buildup of stuff that I've just let sit there and let build up and let stink in my life? Maybe there's stuff coming in and, and, and just, you don't, you're not even aware of it. You say, I gotta stop the flow. Psalm 51 shows how to work through that lethargy and that future judgment. And this is how David got right. By the way, this is part one. Next week will be part two. I, I started to go through Psalm 51 and there is too much to talk about in one sitting. So we're just going to get started here this morning. Two things that David did to get right with God after getting so wrong. There are two things that he did to get right. Are you ready? You ought to write these down. Number one, he trusted in God's mercy. Let's go back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender, here's that word again, mercies, blot out my transgressions. He trusted in God's mercy. Go to also Psalm 25. Still holding your place here in 51. Go to Psalm 25 and verse 16. Listen to David. This is, again, you got to understand, Psalm 25 is a psalm of who? Look at the first verse. Look at just above the first verse. What does it say? A psalm of David. This is written not at the same time as Psalm 51. These are different times in his life. You're looking at David's journal. You're looking at him through different days of his life. Here, David says these words. Psalm 25, verse, did I say? Yeah, 16. Turn thee unto me. Look back at me. And have mercy upon me. He's turned away from him. For I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain. And what's the last part? And forgive all my sins. Why is he able to say that? Verse 16, he says, Turn thee unto me and have mercy on me. Don't just believe in God's mercy. Learn to trust it. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and Patrick was with me. We were going door-to-door out Solwyn, and, and I got to give, two times I got to give the gospel real good and clear. And um, one of them, I was sitting there trying to give the example of what people believe in their head versus trusting in their heart. And um, my mom is terrified of airplanes. She believes in them, but she ain't going on them. Are you with me? And there's a difference between believing in something. Oh, yeah, I know that airplane can fly, but not with me in it, is what my mom's uh, mantra. She believes in it, but she will not trust the airplane. Are you with me? A lot of people believe in mercy, but they've never trusted it. They've never trusted it to be sufficient to overwhelm our sin. Mercy is God's compassion. 
and slowness to judges that allows us to get right with him before judgment comes. That's mercy. Judgment ought to instantly come. But mercy is God saying, I'll give you a little while. Ever wonder why God doesn't kill you? Because he's got mercy, amen? You better trust that mercy is at work in your life even today. Psalm 25, uh, uh, sorry, Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us come boldly unto God's throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. David believed with all his heart that he should be punished. What did he say about that man who stole a, 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 a poor man's only lamb? What did he say ought to do to him? He should die. And then, oh, Nathan looked at him and says, you're the man. He knew he should die. He knew he should be punished. But he counted on God's mercy to be greater than his sin. Amen, amen, and amen. Secondly, he acknowledged his transgressions. That means he took responsibility. That means he didn't blame anybody. Go back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Listen to one, two, three, and four. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. You know, the best, the best fix for any problem in your life is for you to look at yourself. And start to be serious about where did I go wrong? Because it's so a whole lot easier and usually we're all up to date on everybody else's problems. We kind of keep that, that, uh, that list going of what so and so said, what so and so did, and what they didn't do and how they did it and why. And we've got it all processed. But here's David. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I take responsibility. You know, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do when you're the one that's wrong. Somebody may hurt you more. How we respond and how we react indicates the condition of our heart. Adam couldn't do it. You know, when he knew he sinned, what did Adam do? He ran. He couldn't face up to it. I'm not telling you something's easy. Achan couldn't do it. Achan there in in, uh, Joshua chapter 6 takes what God said was cursed. He takes for himself what God said belonged to God. And he took it, he hid it, he held on to it thinking nobody would know. And when he was found out, he kept his mouth shut. He couldn't own up to it. Peter, when he publicly denied, I do not know the man, Jesus, and he cursed the name of Jesus. And at that moment, He glanced over and he saw Jesus' eyes glancing his way after hearing his own name being cursed. And Peter left and ran. He couldn't face up to it. Couldn't take responsibility. He realized just how wrong he was. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do to take responsibility for your sins. You know what keeps people from getting saved? You know what it is? There are people in this room who are not born again. You know why? Because you won't take responsibility for your sins. When you do, you'll say, I'm doomed. (laughs) 
And you'll say, what do I do to be saved? Because you'll want to be free from the judgment of sin coming on you. That's why the word saved is there. It's saved from the just, righteous wrath of God on your sin. The way that you get saved is you realize, I don't want that. i got to take responsibility. I've got to be saved. What were David's sins? Apathy. Now, I, I didn't make a big deal of it. I'm going to make a big deal of it now. He was, he had, he had committed adultery. It's getting there. <laughs> and then he covered it up. And then he murdered a man to, to make sure it was totally covered up. And then he sat back and he smiled. And he acted like nothing there. You say, oh, I would never do that. You are a liar. Every one of us, in one way or another, have covered up our sin and not wanted it to be found out. Revival comes when we take a good long look and we go, oh, yeah, that. Hmm. He had apathy. He didn't care about... And, it, and his apathy began when he got bored. Where was he supposed to be? At the very beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11, he's supposed to be with all the other soldiers, with all the other generals. He's supposed to be out there. There was an enemy out there attacking Israel. And David said, I want to see what's on TV tonight. He was bored. Didn't care. Let me say this. You may not get this, but when you're bored, and you say, you know, I really don't want to come back to church tonight, you are already on your way. You say, oh, I don't think I'll murder anybody. Probably not. But you have no idea where your boredom is going to take you watching that television when you should be in church. You have no idea where you're going to end up when you're bored and you don't get where you're supposed to be. Amen, amen, and amen. I got one amen out of that. When you are looking going, I don't want to come. I'm just being real plain. I don't want to read my Bible today. It's kind of boring to me. When you're supposed to do something and you don't do it because you're bored, let me tell you this, you're on your way. That ought to scare you. His transgression began when he was apathetic about his responsibilities as a king and even as a husband. You know, he had seven other women. I mean, he was stupid enough. The Bible says you can only handle one wife at a time. No man can serve two masters. Some of you are getting it. Some of you are still going, what did he say? Anyway, he's got seven wives, okay? And I don't know how he's not dead yet, but he's got seven wives, and there he is, and he's not faithful. He's not even faithful to the seven he's got, and he goes, gets another one. Are you with me? He's not faithful to his own family. He's not faithful to his his position as king. This guy is truly a mess. At the beginning, he doesn't realize it. He's lusting. He, and he, be, he commits the very act of adultery. By the way, you don't have to do it physically to actually do it. Jesus said, when a man looks on a woman to lust after her with his heart, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. Amen? He lied, covered it up, murders a good man, and then he's not bothered by it. Hey, beware. Go to James. Hold your place here. Go to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1. Just after Hebrews comes James, James chapter 1 verse 14. James 1, 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived and bringeth forth, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? So don't you tell me, well, you know, this is, I have no idea where a sin will lead. But according to the Bible, guess where it can, and if it's unstopped, guess where it will lead? Death. Now, you say, well, adultery, you should die. Well, you know, uh, 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 you want to say a liar should die too? You want to say somebody who stays constantly bitter, critical, angry, full of wrath? You know, sin, when it takes a hold, it doesn't let go. And when it's finished with you, it'll kill you. doesn't matter what sin it is. James doesn't say just one sin, any sin. David cried out, I acknowledge my transgression. The other thing he said was, he said, I no longer hide my sin. One of the things the devil, the best thing the devil ever gets people to do is to be afraid of getting something out in the open. Exposing it. So God helped him. Guess how God helped David? With Nathan. Amen. And you're in a good place when you come to church and let somebody tell you off from the pulpit. I'm not telling you off particularly. I mean, if I kept talking about Bill and Bill and Bill, it'd be awful, all right? But when I'm talking and things are getting close to the heart, you got to realize I don't know anything. The Holy Spirit's cutting you, all right? That's the best thing you could ever have where the Holy Spirit says, I saw you. I heard you. I know what you're into. Just because somebody stood up to here and preached like it is. Amen. So, David said, I no longer hide my sin. Best thing with some sins is to get caught. Amen? You know, he admits, he says there back in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David wrote, I know I hurt you most, God. And if you ever get the chance to be that honest with God, where you realize, I don't care what sin it is, we hurt God. When we think about the people we've hurt, and I've dealt with, I mean, I help out Tony. Tony's 50 miles ahead of me in his experiences and things. But when I'm talking to somebody, usually this is what I notice with, with people, especially when they're struggling with, still struggling with their addiction. They maybe haven't gotten saved or even they have gotten saved, but they're not getting any victory. This is the key. They don't realize all the people they're hurting. And they keep pointing and says, well, so-and-so did this to me and so-and-so wasn't there for me. And it's all about them instead of, I hurt my mom. I stole from my mom. I hurt her year after year. I hurt God. That's maturity. And when you acknowledge your transgression, when you own up to it, that doesn't mean you can fix it. That's repentance is where you come to a dead stop and you go, I'm doomed. I'm not even going to try to fix this thing. I better just trust the mercy of God and own up to it. That's a good place to be. And if you never get put in that position, and this is what the Lord was really just getting me, if you're never made uncomfortable, you're in trouble. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convinces us of our sin. 
He says this. He says, I'm a, a sinner is all I am. Look in, um, uh, where is he? Yeah, verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From the very time of my conception, I have been in sin. You know what? From conception to death, that's what you are. And you can't say, you know, I've, uh, uh, I've got, uh, I've got no problems, you know, I'm not like so and so. Remember the Pharisee as he stood and prayed, I'm glad that I'm not like this publican. David said, a sinner is all I am. That doesn't mean you can't have victories over sinful habits and over sinful thought patterns, but you will face the temptation to sin and you from time to time will give in or else you're not human. Okay, it's just that way. And that ought to scare you. God didn't, when you got saved, God didn't all of a sudden give you this this new way of living that never sins. It doesn't work that way. You have a reason not to sin. And you have a power that enables you to be free from sin. But you still got an old nature that wants to sin. Amen? And you'll battle with that for the rest of your life. But he says this, I'm finally being honest with both you and myself. Verse 6, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. You want me to true to myself, true and real inside. Go to 1 John. 1 John. We're through in Psalms. 1 John, chapter 1. First John chapter 1 and verse 8. First John chapter 1. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, who are we deceiving? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isn't it wonderful? Verse 9. If we confess our sins. He is always faithful and just. He doesn't become sinful when he forgives us. He is still just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you're finally honest with yourself, you go, you know what? I'm a mess. Honestly. Don't get this idea that I'm, you know, I, I, I watch too many people say, I got the victory over this. Amen. You're going to need a victory over something else next. It's going to be a race that you're in, a battle you fight. The devil will not let you rest until you walk into glory. So just mark it down. I want to be honest. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm just forgiven. I've tapped into the grace and the mercy of God. Last point. Far too many Christians believe they're above sin in churches. They don't think they sin very much, if at all. Remember Moses and his anger, where it took him, and what it cost him in the end? He murdered a man. He destroyed a a symbol, a type of the coming Messiah when he got angry at Israel and he struck that rock when God said, speak to it. Remember Peter when he denied the Lord three times, when he, he so declared, I'll never do that, and yet he did it. Remember Job finally admitting that he was vile and wicked for getting bitter and angry at God and thinking he could convince God that 
God had been wrong to allow all the disasters in his life, he realized, I was so wrong. You know, if God had just walked in and said, Job, everything's fine now. I'm going to give you more kids. I'm going to give you back your land. And Job said, wow, thank you. And he never got his heart right about how he talked about God and how he thought about God and how he blamed God, how he thought he could argue with God and convince God that God was wrong. If he didn't deal with that attitude that he had built up in that battle with depression and discouragement, if he didn't think about what was at the bottom of his heart still. He didn't get that cleansed. He would have gone down, 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 down. Job needed to deal with his own heart. Remember how stupid Solomon was when he tolerated idolatry in his home? And in his life, he sought the pleasures and everything the world had to offer. And in the end, he said, what a wasted life. He said, I wouldn't do. I, if I had money, I'd give it all away. You are a stinking liar. If you got a million euros, first the government takes half of it, and then you're starting to think about, what am I going to do? <laughs> Your charity goes, I'll give, I got a million euros, I'll give 5,000 to charity. That's how you'll be, amen. Remember Martha rebuking the Lord? If thou hadst been here, my brother not died. Whoa. Martha, we need to deal with that attitude. (laughs) Amen. Far too many Christians say, I'm okay with my attitude. I'm okay with where my, where my life is. I'm okay with my spirituality. Let me tell you, revival comes when we want our hearts to be purged and cleansed thoroughly. And we want so that our joy is back. So that our, our, our relationship with God is paramount. Revival comes. I want it. I hope you do too. We need revival. We need something that restores joy and energy and passion in our lives as a church. Psalm 51 is one of the most incredible responses to spiritual apathy. David, if, if Nathan hadn't showed up, David would never have gone back and gotten right. Amen? You may not understand it, but just dragging somebody to church on a Sunday morning, even if they're unsaved, could be the most life-changing event in their life because they need to hear a Nathan point their bony finger at them and call them out and point out sin and put the fear of God in them. Amen. How David got in trouble is probably how you and I get in trouble. Happens all the time. You're apathetic about the Bible. You don't care about soul winning. Sometimes I wish, sometimes I wish people fought for the front row to come here preaching. We'd have revival. How do you get right with God? Two points. Number one, ask for his mercy. Start to, all of a sudden, once you start to say, you know, Lord, I'm not right with you. I may not be sinning like I used to be. I may not be watching the stuff I used, to, I used to do. I may not be saying the stuff I used to do. But my heart is not clean. I carry along just these attitudes. I carry along these, these thought patterns. I carry along this bitterness. I carry along this, this, this spirit of, of apathy. Of just, I don't care. It's because our heart is clogged up and it needs a big plunger. <laughs> That's next week. Ask for his mercy. It is limitless. 
His mercy endureth forever. And then acknowledge your transgressions. Don't you worry about mine. Don't you worry about Dan's or Nita's or Celine's. Well, Bill's we're worried about. Don't you worry about anybody else. I don't know nothing. You don't need to worry about anybody else's but your own. And if you take a good long look, it will scare you more than anybody else's sins will. Let's start there. And our homes and our families and our church will never be the same. Next Sunday, we're going to look at David's desperate desire for forgiveness and how he got it. Let me just say this. If you're not born again this morning, you want that forgiveness that Jesus died in your place to give you. You can ask him right now to save your soul, to wash and cleanse you. You can ask him, "Be God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That'll work. That'll work. Let's stand. Bow your head, please. Don't wait till sin has finished its course in your life and ends you into the grave. Don't you wait. Don't you wait. Don't you wait. Today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Father, I just ask that you would burden our heart, not just for the safety of our children and the blessings on our family and the blessings on our country, and not just that all the needs would be met, but the greatest need right now for us as a church is revival. I'm really convinced of it. And there's no, there's no program we have to go through. There is a purging. And there's a reality and a willingness to let you deal with our hearts. However hard it may be for any person in this room to deal with themselves and deal with their heart, break that down. Defeat whatever the devil has hardened. Take away the callous hardness of our hearts. Help us to want you to make a new heart. new church. We love our church. We love the people here, God, but we need revival. This place ought to be the best place on the planet, not because of of money or just because we get to spend time with you, just because we get to rub shoulders with other people who love you, want to serve you, and want to be a blessing, and want want to be right with you. I pray that would be our unity this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.